Welcome to the Identity Heroes podcast. This podcast is by Identity Heroes for Identity Heroes. We will interview leaders and practitioners in the field to share useful news, insights, and practical advice for overcoming top identity challenges. By hearing from leaders and practitioners, we hope that you can learn tips and techniques for addressing your most critical challenges. This podcast is all about giving back to the identity community and, most importantly, the people who are at the front lines fighting cybercrime in today's businesses. And now, your hosts. Welcome to Identity Heroes Podcast. Uh, this is Aldo, and we have Brad here. And I'm very, very excited to get this podcast inaugurated and started. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, this hits close to home because our first guest is Atul Tulshi Bagwale, CTO of Signal, which he's a very, very good friend of mine. Uh, he's actually, I'm just going to be <laughs> upfront and transparent. He is actually my identity hero. Um, and, uh, he knows that ever since we worked at TrustGenics, but Atul, uh, welcome. It is an honor to have you on the podcast, um, today. How's it going? How are you doing? Uh, going great. And thank you for having me. And uh, it's a special kind of responsibility to be the first uh, guest on your podcast. So I hope I live up to your expectations. Oh, of course you always do. I'm sure you will. So. That's cool. So, um, so you were involved with Trustgenics and the early days of SAML. Um, can you tell us a little bit how did how did you um, how did that get started? How did you get involved with that? Sure. Uh, I mean, I think the story goes a little further back, uh, if you can believe that. Uh, is uh, when I was actually one of the first engineers at Verisign, and we were trying for a long time, for about five years, to get people to use certificates on on their, uh, you know, endpoints. Like this at that time was exclusively desktop computers and laptops, right? And, you know, we worked with Microsoft, Netscape, you know, Adobe, you name it, right? Every company out there to make sure that the experience of the user side was good enough for certificates to be used. And it turned out that, you know, that story was not going really well, right? Although there was a lot of interest yeah. because of the because of the security. Um, there, you know, there were practical issues that, that came in the way. And so the model kind of evolved to where, okay, maybe you can't use certificates on the, um, client, but then can you simplify the experience for the user by not having them to have to type in their passwords everywhere? Right. And that's sort of the single sign on promise, uh, that was being talked about at that time. And what happened was Microsoft kind of introduced this idea of, uh, of a passport service, which would you could use a Microsoft password to log you into anything. And that kind of rallied the industry into saying that, look, maybe we shouldn't be focusing on a vendor-specific proprietary solution. We should actually be looking at, uh, you know, how do we do this in a standards-based way? And so the Liberty Alliance was formed out of that, uh, you know, that need. And I remember attending the very first meeting that we had in Orlando and Florida, where we were discussing how, you know, federated identity, which was sort of a very new term at that time, uh, could happen. And we looked at, there was a spec called SAML 1.0, uh, which we were uh, sort of considering as the message format. And we were figuring out the flows, like how can the browsers redirect between each other and figure out like, uh, you know, between services and figure out like how do we convey that information through a through a SAML um, you know formatted uh, a token. So the the exchange of information was Liberty Alliance, and the the format was SAML 1.0. Well, after I think a couple of years of that, um, you know, on the, a few things happened, right? Maybe one year of that. So what happened was. Verisign, my previous employer, decided that this wasn't for them because. Oh, I- Customers were looking for an on-premise solution at that time. They weren't looking for a what was being called an online service at that time, right? Nowadays, we call it a cloud service. So uh, customers were looking for an on-premise solution, and Verisign kind of clearly did not believe that uh, on-premise solution was something that they could they could continue or they could offer. 
And so uh, I kind of branched off and decided that maybe uh, I want to start my own company. And that's how TrustGenX was born. And then the other thing that happened was, you know, Liberty Alliance kind of contributed their work to Oasis and the standard called SAML 2.0 was born out of that, which was pretty much very similar to what we had in Liberty Alliance, but it was all sort of uh, merged into this one big spec called the SAML 2.0 uh, core specification, right? And so that's kind of um, the story there. And what people were thinking at that time is, you know, it it wasn't quite clear how that was going to be embodied in software, right? And so I remember, like, we we were drawing all these components. Oh, you have your LDAP directory here, and you have your SSO system, which is a proprietary single sign-on system here. And how do we, like, now convey this to a third party? And there were a bunch of components that would do the SAML generation and all those things and the parsing and all that. And I remember drawing a circle around that on a whiteboard saying, you know, that is, I think, what can be called a federation server, right? And that circle, that idea that that becomes a federation server became like the all the rage because now every company in the world has a federation server, right? Like, I mean, every everyone in the identity space. But that sort of was the humble beginning of all that, you know, where, where it started. And, um, you know, it was exciting to be a part of the first sort of federated identity spec that was being used at scale. It, we contributed, our company contributed to the spec as well as sort of we were active participants in the interoperability events that were taking place. And then, uh, you know, eventually uh, HP acquired uh, TristGenX and, you know, uh, we were a part of HP after that. And, you know, they had the select federation product of their own, which was basically our product kind of continued by HP. That's, that's pretty interesting. I, I, I remember I, I, I cut my teeth early, uh, early on, uh, on SAML. Um, you, what I, what I think is interesting is, is the, the sort of the, the, the life of, of SAML. And it started where, you know, the early 2000s, uh, you, you, you talk to a customer and, and they would say, Oh, there's no way I, I can't. We can't have identities, you know, in another system where we, we can't allow anyone, just anyone at all to access our system. And, you know, then it became, it got to the point where if you weren't talking about SAML, you, you weren't in the identity space at all. And then I think it, um, SAML sort of took a, uh, kind of a, a, a Monty Python route and that it was, uh, you know, it's just a flesh wound. SAML's dead. SAML's not dead. And, um, <laughs> I, I, I see every customer that I work with is it still has a really heavy investment in, in SAML. Um, you know, you see a lot more around OIDC and OAuth these days, but I, I think that SAML still has a pretty heavy presence, uh, you know, for, for most organizations. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, so, uh, I think there was a lot of, uh, concern about, you know, outsourcing your authentication, which is considered to be a core relationship between a, an organization and their and their users, right? In many cases, those are customers. Mm-hmm. And so where, where SAML really started to take effect was in sort of the benefit space where you may have a, a dental insurance or a 401k or, you know, health insurance kind of situation where uh, all you're doing is, you know, you, you're not in you're not f- fearing that you know some intermediary is going to like disenfranchise you because the users are already uh, sort of belonging to that organization that is uh, authenticating them and so you know uh, you all you're doing is instead of having to reauthenticate them yourself you're just right. like relying on saml and so the the first use cases i remember were all around you know 401k and insurance and things like that so you're absolutely right i mean there's there is still a lot of reluctance uh, uh about extending uh federated identity to customer uh implementations because of these business concerns but you know for the workforce i think it's it works great yeah agreed I think um, I think it all comes down to trust, and it, you you see the same conversations in in SAML uh, integrations, in OITC integrations, and even in kind of these the future tech or the future world where, with decentralized identity, where you have the three the three party issue, the holder, the verifier, the verifier, which would be the service provider, still has to trust and and, and make take ownership of 
of that um, allowing access. So it, it, it's it at no point are you are they, I guess, delegating uh, authority or delegating access out to a, a different party because the, the trust or the, the uh, deciding who gets access to the resource or deciding whether to to allow the user in is still ultimately a, you know, up to that that service provider. Right. Yeah, absolutely. SAML does not at least doesn't have to indicate anything about the in you know access restrictions about a user there it's really just about authentication mm-hmm. i mean you could include information in the saml token about capabilities and all that of the user but that's not not necessary yeah great so that if you don't mind brad i'm going to that brought up a couple of questions in my mind around you know saml and how everything has transpired since then um Atul, what what were the challenges of back then? I know, you know, we were trying to also extend SAML SAML based authentication into some sort of coarse grained authorization where customers wanted not only the authentication piece, but they were moving into maybe using, for those of you who know SAML well, you know, attribute statements to communicate attributes about the user or the principle that was being federated. And the service provider typically then use those attributes f- to grant or deny access to certain areas of the application or certain functions of the, of the application. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, how that has changed since then and why, you know, why isn't SAML enough today? Yeah. And I think um, the attribute assertions, like you mentioned, like that attribute statements or whatever it was called in SAML uh, didn't really come about initially, right? Like initially people mm-hmm. were just talking about authentication, right? And once they had that going, I think then, you know, people started to think, okay, I it, it's not enough for me to just know who this user is. I also need to know uh, what that uh, issuing party has authorized that user to do. And as a result, you have some of this uh, attribute statements. Now, fortunately, uh, the world where SAML was born, um, which was in the Liberty Alliance project, uh, was heavily, you know, sort of influenced by telecom providers, like, you know, the big mobile operators of of that age. And they wanted to bring in a lot of this, uh, you know, authorization capabilities into into the standard. So the standard already supported it, right? It's only that, you know, nobody really cared about it until much later, right? Mm. And what's happening with SAML now is that there is, you know, there is a lot of confusion about how you can actually express something in terms of attributes, right? There needs to be a lot of offline agreement on, okay, this is what I mean when I say uh, this in my SAML token, right? And that that point-to-point kind of trust uh hasn't scaled that well and i think that is one of the reasons why uh saml is really just about authentication and not so much about authorization even today mm-hmm. that's great that's great then uh one more question i have around that is how do you how do you see the level of maturity authorization maturity in our customers today uh as it relates to uh one the capabilities that they need in or, or where I would say the capabilities that they are looking for an authorization or authentication system to provide versus where they're at today, specifically in, in that landscape. Cause I particularly see, um, you know, the maturity of customers that I deal with, um, beyond the, on the lower side in regards to externalizing authorization from the application itself or even uh, in determining what is the best solution uh, or solution and implementation uh, approach, for lack of a better term, to leverage, you know, whether it be, you know, CAPE, which is what we're going to be talking about. Uh, for those of you who, uh, who do not know what CAPE is, is Continuous Access Evaluation Profile uh, and actually a tool is the inventor of that. So uh, we're very, very blessed to have him on the podcast to talk about that. But um, I do see, you know, different levels of maturity depending on the type of business, the type of vertical that a customer is in, and the way they go about providing identity services to 
either their workforce or customers. So I wanted, I wanted your thoughts on, on that whole picture, if you could. Yeah. No, I think, um, I think authorization is a, is, it's an interesting area because I think, um, first of all, what's happening is that, you know, there's gradually a recognition building that, you know, this cannot be the way we do things, right? I think mm. um, that recognition itself has not been there, right? So I think initially when you ask people about author- authorization, it's like, oh, yeah, we have these roles and, you know, we got to, you know, add members manually to those roles and, oh, don't worry, we'll we'll periodically review them and make sure that the <laughs> Uh, the roles won't, you know, have the wrong people in them. And, oh, yeah, and we have these audit checks and, you know, we're going to do all this, uh, you know, great processes around, like, integrating everything so that when you add someone in one role, they'll sort of automatically get propagated wherever it is. And a few years later, we are realizing that this is way too complicated, right? It's not mm-hmm. really how uh, we can scale a business, right? And I think that realization is, even in the last couple of years that Signal has existed, we've actually seen this transformation from people not having recognition for the problem to saying, yes, maybe there's a better, better way of doing the things, right? And I think the closest example, and I use this uh, when I talk to people uh, quite a bit, is the closest example I feel is like the tape backup world, right? Where uh, previously people would depend a lot on tape backup, right? And they had these extensive systems to create tape backups and there were like all these differential files that you would like add, you know, you would do a daily backup and then you would add the differences every um, every day. And then, you know, every seven days you would create a new backup and things like that, right? Uh, there was a lot of work in that area. And, and the realization was that when it actually breaks down, right, when you actually need that tape backup, it's not there for you most of the time, right? It doesn't work, right? And so all that investment that was happening in the tape backup was was sort of being questioned, right? And uh, along came this whole idea of, hey, why don't we just do uh, hard disk-based uh, backup or disaster recovery, right? We don't even think about it as backup anymore, right? We we think about it as disaster recovery, right? Or or uh, hot backup or, you know, switch over, failover kind of systems, right? And, um, you know, that's the same thing I think is happening in the authorization space. Where mm. you're you you have a model that you've relied on, and you're you're realizing as as more and more of these uh, cyber breaches happen that you know when the time comes, it's actually not doing what it's supposed to, right? And you know now you need a different approach at, at things. That is where I think the externalization of authorization, providing a consistent way of doing authorization across your enterprise, being able to scale it, being able to like. Um, you know, not have manual processes to do either, you know, role memberships or or, or reviews, uh, you know, being able to have good audits, you know, all these things come into the picture. That's a really good analogy. Um, I, I really hadn't thought about that, but the um, I've, I've been fortunate that I never had to recover from tape and, and find that it was missing or find that it didn't work. So I, I uh, but it, it, I think that that was, I'm sure a lot of people have encountered that. Um, do do you also think a tool that part of the problem is in the tool sets or the frameworks that we have? So, you know, in the world of roles, roles, roles by themselves are, are really good for coarse grain authorization, um, scenarios. Um, so, but that becomes the, the hammer or that becomes the, the, the tape backup. And, and so everyone says, oh, okay, well, we, we, we're going to use RBAC and we're going to implement roles. And then an application says, well, that's not enough for me. I, I need something more coarse grain. And because it's yeah. the only tool in the toolbox, then we say, okay, let's, we'll just create a different, another role for you. And then you have the, 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 the role explosion scenario that everybody talks about. Um, so then we have attribute based access control. We have, we have all these different frameworks and everybody looks at it like, which one framework should I use versus how do I, how do I implement a hybrid solution? Do you think that that's an answer to the problem of being able to mix the frameworks, or do you think that there's another another solution out there that we're, we're all eventually going to get to? No, you're absolutely right. I don't think it's a one size fits all at all, right? I think it's um, you're going to have everything from like even ACLs, 
the roles mm-hmm. to you know more uh, temporary kind of assignments like you know what we are calling uh, you know continuous access management at signal but you may have heard the terms more like rebat like relationship based access management or or ngat yeah. you know and you know some many of these there's a lot of alphabet soup out there but you know uh, some of these things can coexist for example you know if you have a um cloud service that you know is critical to your operations right you're going to have an acl a very very tiny acl of a few users in your organization that that control access to that cloud infrastructure right and that's going to coexist with the sort of the role based access control that gives you the birthright access to even access those uh you know those systems right like who has access to workday is probably you know going to be a rbac kind of system right you don't need anything more fancy than that at that point but then when you get down to okay who can actually look at the personal details of you know so and so employee that needs to be a very dynamic and you know a very uh, sensitive kind of operation that you cannot really capture in a more static sort of way so you cannot say that oh i belong to the hr department so i'm I, i'm just going to go and look at everybody's personal details right that's that should not be allowed right and that's where you need the more dynamic and fine grain authorization so i think absolutely it is not a one size fits all it's it's a coexistence story right and uh, i think that what we're seeing now is that are the ill effects of trying to apply the our back hammer as you said to you know every authorization nail essentially right right um thank you for that um i'm of the opinion that that um on the authentication side um the protocols or the standards like saml and auth and idc were the tools that allowed the industry to basically say hey we've solved authentication and that's a very common attitude across the board is we've solved authentication i mean there's always going to be additional mfa and things like that but i, I think you know having those frameworks was the was what was what enabled us to get to that point do you do you think that there is a a a common standard like that on the authorization side or do you think that we'll eventually get to that point you know we're, what you, what are you seeing around that yeah no absolutely i think uh, that's a great point because i think right now the uh, authorization world is where authentication was before sso right everybody kind of used to roll their own like login password kind of mm-hmm. authentication and nobody was supporting saml or oidc and now here you are where everybody basically just expects that there will be some uh, you know federated uh, identity but they would uh, still be like um, uh able to do some fallback kind of authentication if they have to right like uh, that's kind of how it works sure. now um mapping that to where we are with authorization right like today you expect every ap- application to basically make its own authorization decisions right so that's that's one problem that results in a few things right one is that there is a sometimes a misinterpretation of what a role means for that application versus what it was actually defined for and so it causes confusion as to whether you know somebody should be in that role or not now you you take the you take the approach that oh this is good enough and i'm going to just use this role which causes sort of uh, you know policy violations or you could say oh i'm going to create a different role for this and then that causes sort of a role explosion right so right. none of the choices are great right and so um trying to externalize authorization in order to uh, be able to uh not have to make that decisions inside of every application or every service is a great starting step right and there you can think of you know two possible ways of standardizing things right one is you need something that will work at the time of access right so right when somebody is trying to access a critical resource you're able to delegate that decision to some external party and you know you can get that decision back in a very reasonable time uh, sort of period of time and say okay yeah within a few milliseconds i'm going to get the answer to this and i'm going to i'm going to make a decision based on that answer that i get right so that you can say is a kind of a synchronous synchronous way of doing things right so we are doing some work in the uh, odd zen working group in the open id foundation 
where I've defined a, I've submitted a proposal to define an API between what is known as the policy decision point and the policy enforcement point, right? You can think of the policy enforcement point as being your application, right? Or your service where you need the authorization decision. And the policy decision point is sort of a more centralized service, which can, you know, consider all the latest information and, and give you the decision. Now, it is a few things very critical here, right? Because the policy enforcement point needs to convey the context accurately to the policy decision point so that it knows exactly what is being accessed and why uh, somebody is trying to access that. And then uh, the policy decision point needs to have all the right data to answer that question. But from a standards point of view, the policy enforcement point needs to make sure that that answer comes in a timely fashion so that it can depend on that in order to make its processing, right? And modern cloud architectures allow for, you know, very low latency communication, and we should be able to leverage all that in a spec like what we are what we are thinking of today in the odds and uh, working groups. Uh, so that's one part of the uh, answer. The second part is where you have these disjointed islands of communication um, where you may not have like the same low latency communication available between uh, different components, right? For example, if you have a SaaS service in the cloud and you have an IDP that is a different organization, you cannot expect them, the, you know, the SaaS service to go out to the IDP for every sort of access decision. So you need something that is able to convey that decision in a more asynchronous kind of way, right? And that is what is being done by the continuous access evaluation profile, where you can convey this information asynchronously across these components, right? Uh, so that you don't have to, um, you know, be there at the time the decision is needed, but you can convey the decision when you have changed something about the user's uh, session properties, for example. Right. So, Atul, you mentioned, you just mentioned Cape there, and uh, I'll just sort of teased, teased a little bit about it before, but why don't we, why don't we take a moment now and, and, and sort of unpack, unpack that uh, profile? What, what exactly is, is that a protocol? Is that a, a standard? Is that a profile? Maybe, maybe unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, a persistent point of confusion. Uh, Ape actually started as continuous access evaluation protocol. Right, so okay. it has the full protocol, including the mechanisms for conveying information and all that, right? So what happened was um, back in the beginning of 2019, I published a blog post when I was in Google that described or postulated what you know how we could do things, and and the blog post was actually titled "Continuous Access Evaluation Protocol," right? And it defined a mechanism, uh, you, you know, that how this can be done, and there there was a very enthusiastic response to that across the industry. And then we met as an informal group a few times, um, uh, I think a few times in Google, uh, a few times outside of Google, I think in Microsoft and some other places. And so uh, we had this great momentum around CAPE. Uh, and in this case, the P was for protocol. And uh, then we found out that there's this parallel standard called RISC in the OpenID Foundation. Which also used the same kind of mechanisms, right? They they had it. They were trying to solve a different problem, which is about the account takeover and account um, sort of uh, security problem. Whereas Cape was trying to solve the session security problem, right? And so we felt like, okay, look, we are we are trying to solve two different problems, but the mechanisms that we want, the asynchronous publish and subscribe kind of mechanisms, are the same, right? And so why don't we come together? Uh, define a common framework, and then define these as protocols or profiles on top of that framework, right? And so that's how the shared signals framework was born. And that became a new uh, working group in the OpenID Foundation. It kind of replaced the uh, the old risk group. And, uh, you know, on top of that framework, now you have a continuous access evaluation profile. Now, the CAPE, CAPE as it stands today is just a bunch of events that leverage the shared signals framework, right? And a risk is another set of events that leverages the shared signals framework. And the risk events uh, are more around account security, whereas the CAPE events are more around session security or, you know, uh, sessions that are in flight, basically. 
so yeah, that's that's in a nutshell, you know, sort of, uh, it's a profile on top of the shared signals framework. Okay. So they're not necessarily competing profiles, but they're more um, kind of two sides to the same coin, or at least they, they could, they could, they could play together uh, fairly nicely in in a in the same environment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, what's happening is uh, the shared signals framework actually is a more generic asynchronous publish and subscribe framework, right? So it doesn't really have to be restricted restricted to just Cape or Risk, right? It can be used as a generic, you know, webhooks kind of framework, right? So if you have an API and you want to say, hey, um, I'm giving you this answer right now. But it may change, and I want to notify you when that answer changes. You can use, you know, SSF to do that. Okay. So, and yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're about to say. Keep, keep no, going. Uh, yeah, and Cape and Risk, you can think are just two existing applications of that shared signals framework. There can be more. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So it's not even it's not even limited just to two to two to the two of those uh, yeah. profiles. So that, so it's interesting, and I I, um, I was lucky enough that I I, uh, uh, I was able to see a demo of uh, of this last week, and it, it's pretty interesting. Um, could you unpack for everybody a little bit more, uh, like more, um, I, I guess uh, exactly how does this work, or how would a customer, you know, if, if they're interested in it. Um, how do you go about um how do you get it how do you implement yeah. it how do you use it you know yeah. describe a scenario where 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 yeah. you would, a customer could do it yeah i think the the why is also very interesting right because what's happening is that federated identity protocols right like saml or ydc came about in a world where you know pretty much everybody was you know, tethered to a sort of a desktop or, or laptop kind of uh, situation, right? Where, you know, the online activity used to be uh, limited. Now we live in a sort of a fully online world where everybody is constantly, you know, uh, using their mobile phones or laptops or whatever to access, you know, services that um, it always changes, like the, your access posture is always changing, right? And as companies are moving to the zero trust world, right, where uh, there is a lot of emphasis on, you know, verifying the properties at the time of access, right? That's what zero trust is all about. And if you don't have a mechanism to actually convey the information to where it's needed, uh, then you're making decisions based on some uh, old data, like when, when the user logged in, and you're not aware of, you know, what has happened since then, right? And so, for example, let's say, I use um, my mobile phone to log into a CRM system, right? Uh, I've I've signed in using my employer's, uh, uh, you know, single sign-on service, and I've logged in to uh, a CRM system. Now, let's say I go back to my employer's um, single sign-on server, and I change my password, right? Or I or I change the MFA that I'm using, right? Uh, there's some change like that that happens. There is no mechanism today, uh, I mean, before Cape, uh, that would be able to convey that information that, hey, now this user's credential has changed and you need to take some action based on that uh, on your end, right? There there was no way to convey that before Cape. And that's what, that's why Cape is, uh, you know, I think critical to zero trust because I think without that, you're not able to make those instant decisions that you need to make for zero trust on the most current data. Otherwise, you're always working with some old data, right? And that's why Cape is so important. Now, if you wanted to get this today, right, I think there's a few possibilities, right? Uh, there's a little bit of open source uh, out there where you have uh, a, a site called sharedsignals.guide, which is uh, hosted by Cisco. Uh, they have some open source components in there. And then you also have cape.dev, which is uh, hosted by my company, Signal. Uh, where we uh, we have an open source Cape receiver in Go, where you can actually build your own Cape receiver using that. Right now, you're going to see some you know very powerful announcements shortly. Uh, for example, Apple in the latest uh, WWDC that happened last year uh, sort of 
said that if you wanted to use a custom identity provider with um, uh, their Apple Business Manager service, then you have to use the shared signals uh, framework, right? And they're using the CAPE events for that. Now, corresponding to that, Okta, which is in 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 Apple's term, what is a custom identity provider? Uh, Okta announced their support for CAPE, right? So if you now get Okta and you're using Apple Business Manager, under the covers, they're going to be using CAPE automatically, right? So uh, even, and you don't actually have to do anything to get that, right? And so I think what, what, I would recommend for uh, technology users is that, hey, when you're evaluating vendors or when you're sort of deciding your strategy, you need to sort of make sure that at least on the roadmap of the companies that are offering you the software, they have these kinds of things supported so that you get better security outcomes uh, in everybody working together, right? Right. Uh, It's not sufficient that, one vendor has some proprietary way of you know talking to two other vendors and oh between the three of them they have good security that's not good enough right you need to be able to uh interoperate with everything that's out there and that's only possible using an open standard like k yeah. although I, I i feel like i've been monopolizing uh, uh the time a little bit did you have some 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 questions. These are all great questions. <laughs> I think I think you've covered quite quite a bit. Um, uh, I think the biggest you know question here is, Atul, what from your experience and perspective, what what do you think the the industry adoption curve would look like for something like Cape? Yeah, I think. Um... We we released the first draft, I think, a couple of years back now. We were very encouraged initially when we saw Cisco and Box announce interoperability using CAPE, which was an amazing announcement. I think it happened in the RSA, in the RSA conference in 2022, which was, uh, which was fantastic. Um, what happened was there was a little bit of a drop in the momentum after that. Um, and truth be told, I think, you know, Microsoft, implemented CAPE internally within their systems even before the standard was out, right? And so it's based on a sort of a working draft that that sort of we had at that time. But, uh, you know, they haven't really made it possible for other companies to interoperate with them using CAPE. But they have, you know, the functional equivalent of CAPE that is being used internally. Now, you what sort of rejuvenated that whole thing was the Apple and Okta announcements that happened earlier last year. And now I think what's happening is we are seeing a lot of uh, momentum based on the Gartner announcement that they're going to host a CAPE interoperability event at the Gartner IAM Summit in London in March. And so, you know, just a couple of weeks or less than a couple of weeks away now, and we are getting up for that. We have about eight implementers who have signed up, committed to the to the interoperability event. And so I think it's going to be a great start for um for many companies to showcase what they have and and for potential users of those products uh to see how they can leverage that in their environments and i think uh this this actually can be an inflection point for uh for k and although it's been sort of steadily building over these years i think this this is the the moment when i think it can really get into the mainstream Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you've heard it here first. <laughs> From the mouth of a tool, inventor of Cape, but uh uh all kidding aside. Now this is this is great. I mean, um we've discussed, you know, SAML. We've discussed, you know, how SAML has been used in the past, how its evolution has gone through, you know, uh authentication and kind of coarse grained authorization. Uh, with service provider configurations, we discuss where the high level gaps are with SAML. Obviously, in 45 minutes, we're not going to be able to get into a lot of the details, but uh, those are kind of uh, you know uh, subjects for um, future podcasts where we're going to start uh, actually showcasing uh, some of these concepts in practical you know demonstrations, practical use cases, and so forth. But um, it's great to have a tool to kind of inaugurate the, this pos- podcast because he's been at the forefront of uh, authentication uh, with SAML uh, as well as authorization and now is 
at the forefront of authorization with, uh, you know, real-time uh, session communication with uh, or by using CAPE, uh, which is going to be important because uh, that brings in a very interesting real-time nature to authorization aside from the continuous access management and zero standing privilege uh, approach that uh, Signal uh, brings into into Bear. And actually, this is a good segue uh, tool. If you could take, um, you know, maybe a quick four minutes to describe Signal and what Signal does and, and what it brings to the industry. Yeah, sure. So I think uh, Signal was was sort of born out of some of our frustration at Google about sort of how we can get past these manual ways of doing things for granting or revoking permissions, right? And so I think the realization was that, you know, organizations typically have this information already in some some business processes that they are already relying on, right? For example, you, you assign work uh, to people based on, let's say, a ticketing system, right? Or you assign uh, people to certain uh, cases or, you know, pull requests or, you know, um, customers in your CRM or, you know, whatever it is that might be, right? So this information already exists in your organization, right? So that's that's one problem that we thought could be solved. The other problem was that we don't think that, you know, the roles or, you know, set-based approaches, right, where you're creating a role and then you're adding members to that role and then maybe you can use a more efficient system like Zanzibar to like uh, denormalize those sets into like individual permissions and then get fast responses and all that. We don't think those things are, you know, expressive enough to capture the real world relationships that how we think about policies, right? So that's that's the other aspect. And the third aspect is that you need to have very strong, like, you know, reliability and communication because this is an inline system. You need to be able to provide answers within milliseconds in order to be able to deliver a reliable authorization system, right? It, you you definitely want to get to a point where it can be a closed fail system where it, it, the system cannot actually work without the authorization system being being there, right? And all these properties uh, are embodied in in Signal, right? Because we ingest data continuously from your business systems of record, right? We we bring it into a very high performance graph and the graph has these amazing properties of uh, like, you know, being able to replicate itself into, you know, wherever you need it to be, provide millisecond responses because, you know, all all the data, you know, finally it's about graph traversal. And the graph is so expressive that you can now define policies in a way that are more human readable, right? And then we have this great system by which we can, you know, compose different uh, reusable components like snippets and then create these policies. And the other th- other consequence of all this is that because you're making these decisions in a central location, which is the signal service, you are able to now uh, produce real-time audits, right? Based on uh, you know uh, your, the decisions that you made, like who got access, who didn't get access. So it's very easy to br- you know prove compliance to any existing stated policy because you will actually see the accesses that were allowed or disallowed, right? And so I think it becomes a far more robust system than what what exists today. Um, sorry, I get I get very passionate when we talk about <laughs> signal. Because, <laughs> That's good. Uh, it starts feeling like a sales pitch, but it's it's just coming from a place of conviction. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, I I can certainly uh, relate to that, being that I'm also at Signal, right? So, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's been it's been really awesome to be. Uh, you know, part of this industry since the year 2000. So, uh, and even more awesome, if that's a word, to to be, you know, in close contact and proximity with, you know, people like Brad here, my co-host, and yourself, a tool that, you know, have always been, you know, pushing uh, the envelope forward or pushing the bar forward and higher. And, uh, you know, in your case, you know, helping us understand how to leverage new standards uh, in authorization and even in session event communication shared signals is really critical, you know, because ultimately this, the, you know, at least for me personally speaking, this, I also get very passionate and this is a labor of love for, for me. And I know Brad also gets very passionate about this and it's really a labor for our customers and uh, people, uh, you know, what we're calling identity heroes who are at the front line 
um, you know, battling cyber attacks, quite frankly. So, you know, whether it's coming through phishing or, or you, you name your vector, you know, uh, that this is something that, that the industry really has to provide. So tons of kudos to you and the, and the signal team. And, you know, of course, you know, uh, kudos to Brad and, uh, and, you know, huge, uh, blessing for Brad to accept to be a co-host in this, this podcast, cause, uh, it's going to be an interesting, you know, year for us, but, just to wrap things uh, up a bit here, um, we we like to talk about some takeaways. You know, one big takeaway that I personally get here is, you know, it it it's only the beginning, right? We we're just touching the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the authorization function in in the identity landscape or ecosystem of 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 challenges, and it and it looks like. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting journey. It's gonna, it may be a long journey. It may not. And, uh, and frankly, I think Cape may be an accelerator to start, you know, this conversation moving forward and to actually get practical, you know, uh, solutions out into into the uh, industry and, and in the customer's hands. Uh, number two, um, you know, uh, we need to start thinking, of, you know, more on a dynamic uh, zero standing privileges kind of thought pattern because we I know it's it's very natural for us to think about you know role based access control you know attribute based access control which comes very you know uh, quick to our minds because we've been doing this for so long and I think our audience and some of the identity heroes out there you know that's the first thing they think of is oh yeah our back you know a back um and now um dealing with policy based access control and then reback or relationship-based access control, and it was important to kind of take that takeaway of, you know, hey, uh, you need it's not one specific framework or approach; it's actually all of the above, depending on your, you know, um, audience. You know, whether it's customers or workforce, and depending on the application type, and de- depending on your yeah. requirements for the application as well. Uh, but the other major takeaway is. It, it seems like in order to start moving towards a zero trust architecture, um, you you're almost kind of uh, you know force is not a is not a good word, but but you you kind of left to implement um, a dynamic system that that can easily adjust to real time context coming from whatever the protected system is. Whether it be an application, cloud service provider, uh, a workload that's running anywhere, it could be a Kubernetes cluster, etc. But I think the days of um, making static assumptions of what access should be in place are gone, um, and I, that's something I strictly believe in. It has to be since the beginning, actually. Since I uh, since I started in this industry, I've always wondered why don't we do things much more dynamically. Like we we need to respond to context, uh, and that's that's been a little pet peeve of mine. Uh, so it's 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 good that it's good that uh, we're not we're now as as veterans in this industry as well as colleagues and all the heroes that are listening. Uh, they're all focusing now. It looks like on okay, uh, we need to start transitioning uh, at this point. So th- those are the key takeaways. Brad, do you do you have any takeaways uh, that that you have? Yeah, actually, um, what you just said is a great segue. So there's a lot of people working towards this. Um, a tool you mentioned, AuthZen. Um, I know you and I both are in the uh, ID Pro me- uh, membership in the Slack channel. There's a they've created a, a recently created an authorization channel specific to just to you know for these discussions. Um, there's an authorization conference that's uh, that's being worked on behind the scenes, and a, a lot of really great people are. Uh, you know, putting a lot of effort into, I think, standardizing authorization, much like, uh, like, like, like the industry did with, with OAuth and SAML and, and OIDC. Um, so I think that kind of wraps it up, but we do have a, we do have one, um, here's the, 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 the most challenging question of all. This is where we, we really, you know, right at the end, we really get into some hard hitting <laughs> stuff. That's all. Um, so, like Aldo said, uh, you know, the whole concept of this show is identity heroes, which is everybody that, that puts effort into the identity space. 
who in, in your career have you encountered that, that you would consider a, a hero or someone that you look up to or who would you want us to talk to next? You know, who, who would you, uh, I, I, we, we joked about uh, like an ice bucket challenge. Who, who should we, uh, who should we force onto the show next? Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a great question. Uh, um, I mean, off the top of my head, uh, what, what comes to mind is, um, I've worked a lot with, um, you know, Michael Jones from, um, mm. I guess he used to work at Microsoft. Now, now he is on his own. Uh, he has been instrumental in sort of some of the key standards that we use today in identity. And I think, uh, uh I always look up to him for, uh, advice on like how to navigate the standards world and how to sort of contribute to it. So I think that that would be a great person to have on this podcast. And if I look outside of the standards world and I, I see around if like, you know, who have built some of the, some of the really expansive systems that we all use today, uh, which are related to identity. One thing that comes to mind is uh, the sign in with Google system, right? Where uh, everybody uses sign in with Google. And uh, I know um, uh, a person named Mayank uh, Upadhyay. Uh, who has been instrumental in bringing that uh, system online and making it successful? And so I wonder if uh, if uh, he would be available to you know uh, to join this podcast as well. So, so. Well, thank you for that. We'll certainly reach out to to both of them, and if you can help us with introductions, we'd love that. Um, you know, always open to uh, to, to recommendations on, uh, on on different different people we we, we could talk to. Um, Atul, uh, just want to thank you very much for agreeing to be uh, the the first guest. We, we I think we need to to, to get a, a plaque or something made the, yeah, the, yeah. the first the first guest award. Um, but t-shirt. where Don't can t shirts? <laughs> yeah, we we'll have to get a t shirt exactly. Um, where uh, assuming that it's okay for people to reach out to you in, in uh, you know if they have questions or they want to talk to you about it, where how can people reach you or how can people find you out on the uh, out on the internet? Sure. Uh, so uh, I'm sure you'll put the links to my uh, LinkedIn and uh, mm-hmm. Twitter or X accounts uh, out there. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can also email me at uh, CTO at SGNL.ai. Um, so Chief Technology Officer CTO at SGNL.ai. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you very much. It was great talking to you. This was uh I think uh, really, uh, really interesting and uh, really it was nice being able to, to, to dig into Cape and, and learn a, uh, a little bit more about your background. Well, Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's, I'm especially honored to be the first guest on this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. As always, right. much uh, love and respect for you, Atul. And of course, my co-host, Brad, much love and respect to you as you are also uh, one of my identity heroes. So uh, oh, upwards and onwards. Uh, and yeah. I'm really looking forward to future episodes of this podcast. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Wish All you right. the very best for it. All yeah. right. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right.